0: I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2004. For a long time now, I have realized that I do not know nearly as much as I should know and need to know about the Jewish faith and about Jews around the world and their long, rich, and, and complex history. And uh, I have learned so very much after taking in hand a, a beautiful, spectacularly beautiful book called The Diaspora and the Lost Tribes of Israel. Diaspora is a very interesting term, and I am almost embarrassed to admit that it was a term I was not acquainted with uh, until I read this book. It comes, I, I should think, from the same root word as when we say something is dispersed, and it essentially talks about the disbursement of the Jewish people really across the globe, and uh, and out of that sense of what is talked about in the book at one point as the landlessness of the Jews, and that has really uh, informed and affected so much of the way they have lived their lives and lived out their faith. Uh, the author of this splendid book is uh, uh, Amot Asael, and uh, he is responsible for this uh, book. He is Uh, the executive editor of the Jerusalem Post and uh, has advanced degrees in history and uh, journalism and uh, uh, is actually living now in Jerusalem with his family and is calling us from there to uh, talk about this uh, beautiful book. And we welcome you, Ematz Asael, to The Morning Show.
1: Good to be with you.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, I must say, this is an incredible book. I should also tell, for the uh, sake of our listeners, that this is a gigantic book, just to take it in your hands. I mean, it's a huge book, full of information and and splendid photographs. Tell us just briefly, if you would, how this book came into being. Uh, Was it your idea or someone else's idea that the history of the Jewish people should be told in this particular way?
1: Well, uh, I was dealing with this subject matter for many years prior to actually making of it a book uh, in the wake of my work here at the Jerusalem Post. Uh, So the subject matter wasn't alien to me. What's more, that I also studied it in a more systematic way uh, at uh, several universities. I should also stress that uh, I grew up with uh, this subject matter at home because uh, my father, may rest in peace, spent many years uh, working on behalf of the Jewish people in, in many distant corners of the world where he helped set up uh, Jewish educational systems from Iran and India to Turkey and North America, in fact.
0: Wow. So he really I- experienced this firsthand, this sense of Jewish people being dispersed throughout the globe, in a sense, absolutely lo- looking for roots or looking for a sense of home. At one point you... You call uh, Jews history's ultimate nomads uh, for uh, Jewish communities have for centuries been prone to appear, disappear, and reappear almost anywhere, arguably belonging simultaneously everywhere and nowhere that 's a fascinating concept, but probably a really difficult one, I think especially for most Americans. Uh, to understand that idea of a people being nowhere and, and everywhere. Explain a little further what you mean by that.
1: Uh, that's very true what you say about uh, the, the contrast between this experience and American experience, because on the one hand, the American experience actually does resemble this in the sense that almost every American is himself and herself. The consequence of someone's emigration sometime uh, in the previous uh, uh, generation However, the American experience of immigration is usually um, uh, linked with also an experience of of a transformed nationality. If one was originally an Italian and then relocated to America, one simply became an American. Uh, The Jewish nation, throughout uh, the millennia in which it was was living in dispersal, uh, managed to relocate physically while not shedding its spiritual heritage. Uh, That is what made its experience so unique. At the same time, the very existence of such a nation in such a geographically disjointed way made it not only distinctive, but also a matter of of, uh, curiosity. And we know already of ancient scholars that were um, baffled by this phenomenon, some positively, others negatively, and we know that also already in biblical times Uh, there was a man um, in Persia who used the Jews' dispersal in his times, that is a good 2,500 years ago, and more than that, in order to um, try and argue um, uh, with uh, the Persian emperor that the Jews should be exterminated. Uh, That was Haman from the Book of Esther. So this uh, state of of dispersal uh, is almost as old as the Jewish people itself, and has always been a subject of great curiosity.
0: You say at one point, the Jewish nation indeed is, and apparently has been practically since its inception, so geographically stretched and culturally fluid that its dispersion set it apart from other nations even more so than its distinctive laws, rules, tradition, languages, uh, and dress. That's probably also an important thing for us as Americans to, to think about, that uh, I mean, I was just in New York City yesterday, and so here I am, a, a Midwestern uh, Lutheran, by the way. And uh, the the moment I would pass on the street someone of the Jewish faith, and I would uh, certain uh, Jews dressed in in traditional garb and so on, and I might think to myself, "Boy, that is uh, that is so distinctive." And of course, it, that is not the ultimate distinctiveness of. Of someone of the Jewish faith, but rather this other thing which is hidden to the na- naked eye, but which is so much a part of who the Jewish people are and how they view themselves in the world.
1: That's very true. And one should also stress that the American chapter in the dispersal of the Jews is itself unique because of America's own, own distinctions. America uh, and its its impressively successful exercise in cultural pluralism uh, are unprecedented in in history and and until today, um, in my view, constitute all that is unique and happy about the American experiment. This has not been, the the Jewish experience in America has not at all been the Jewish experience in previous um, lands where the Jews uh, ended up in large numbers. Usually, in such countries, they were set apart actively uh, for all kinds of decrees that set them apart in terms of dress, in terms of housing. They would be quartered in special neighborhoods, often fenced around. This is what came to be known as the ghetto. Uh, There were special laws restricting um, their access to business, Um, and that is part of how they ended up being set apart. And beyond uh, that strictly legal a restriction, there were also uh, philosophical theories attached to them um, by by various uh, uh, schools who who sought to discriminate the Jews, beginning of course with uh, the Catholic Church back in the Middle Ages that made a whole ideology of of presenting the Jews as inferior and trying to to instill this this thinking in the masses minds.
0: Mm. At one point, you 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 try to explain this to us, and and it is difficult maybe for us to to understand if we ourselves are not part of this tradition. You say that the Jews' very ability to survive rootlessly uh, made Gentiles embrace the wandering Jew stereotype, and 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 that stereotype is is at least part of what's at the root of of some of this mistreatment of of the Jews. Tell us first of all. Uh, this, uh, a little more about this stereotype and the way that it has been played out in various countries, the way in which various traditions have looked askance at uh, the Jewish people because of this wandering Jew image.
1: There was, first of all, the image was, was so pervasive that many Jews also adopted it. Uh, for instance, there was a big uh, scholar in uh, 17th century Amsterdam, his name was Manasseh ben Israel who later played uh, uh, an important role in reopening Britain or or England to to Jewish settlement. But in any event, that man was a major publisher in his time. He had his own printing press in Amsterdam. And his personal stamp was an image of a wandering Jew. And uh, so, in other words, that was a very famous stereotype. But beyond the stereotype, there really was um, uh, a medieval Catholic thinking that thought that the Jew... Uh, should be um, should be uh, uh, compelled to never have uh, a piece of land under his feet to call his own, um, and that should in turn be a testimony to God's punishment uh, for the Jewish nation's uh, ostensible rejection of God's gospel. Of course, a kind of thinking that today um, uh, most Christians, including the Vatican itself, uh, emphatically reject. But back then, in the Middle Ages, this kind of thinking really um, was attached to the Jews. So so the Jews were not only perceived as nomads, but were also made to become such, even if they weren't such. And so they were repeatedly, in Europe, expelled from one town to another, and uh, could never be completely confident that a place where uh, they were, sometimes for many generations, would be still... Um, their place of residence several years afterwards.
0: so we have to think about the term nomad uh, as, I suppose, a kind of peasant in terms of of, of status and and, and and if and if one views the Jews as, as as nothing more than than peasants wandering peasants, then that that is why in the minds then of 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 those with this belief, I Jews would say that
1: it was an image of someone who is who is always prone to be physically transient, someone who who could be seen in a certain locality today, and tomorrow in another, and, and the following day in yet another. Um, sometimes, uh, or, or in most cases, because somebody drove him out of his previous location, that was the image of uh, the wandering Jew. And there was also a reality behind it, hmm. behind it, because because the Jews really were. Under those circumstances, incessantly establishing new communities in new lands and going always beyond the horizon. And Some so, of this, however, was not only a matter of persecution but also a matter of entrepreneurship. Many Jewish merchants uh, were uh, the kinds that, that uh, had this urge to, to conquer and, and go beyond the horizon. And, and lead merchandise to, to the most distant uh, uh, locations. And this is how Jews, for instance, were among the first people to settle in the New World and start trading between the Old and the New World.
0: Hmm. I suppose they saw the world in, in a different way because they were constantly wandering within it, and maybe because of that saw some of these possibilities for commerce that... Might have not, not might not be so immediately apparent to someone more rooted to a given spot.
1: Um, that is true, uh, and they were in that regard pioneers of globalization, which today is often uh, a very legitimate and almost universally accepted value. Uh, but back uh, in those days, uh, three, four, and even five centuries ago, was novel. I should stress that in this regard, um, it it was an urge that was shared by by many in Christian Europe, but was rejected at the time by the Muslim world, where uh, their leaders uh, were not eager to um, nurture uh, the desire to to conquer new lands and uh, go um, especially to conquer the high seas. And when, for instance, the uh, Ottoman sultan at a certain point was uh, given a proposal to dig a canal where ultimately the Suez Canal would be, and, and his advisors told him if you do that, you'll have um, comfortable naval access to, uh, to India and China, he said, my world is here, referring to the Middle East. And at the same time, Christian explorers were circumnavigating the global ready, ultimately uh, making um, the Western Hemisphere almost completely Christian, and Jews were also joining uh, the Christians in those navigations. Uh, the Muslims were not, and therefore were condemned to um, to uh, remaining within the areas where they had traditionally been, while Jews and Christians continued to, uh, so to speak, conquer the globe.
0: Hmm. Uh, to- towards this point of the stereotype of, of the wandering Jew, uh I want you to talk for a moment about uh, one way in which that played out much closer to our own day. You talk at one point about uh, the terrible regime of Joseph Stalin in in the Soviet Union and how Soviet propaganda against the Jews was crafted in such a way to characterize Jews as rootless cosmopolitans. Uh, That's such an interesting uh, such an interesting way to put it, and of course, uh, that that behind that language, ultimately, of course, was a uh, what grew to be a, a, an outright hatred, and of course, a, a terrible uh, delivery of, of 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 evil hatred against the Jews in the Soviet Union. But talk for a moment about that perception of Jews as rootless cosmopolitans. How would that be such a, a frightening? Uh, prospect for, for ordinary Soviet citizens, for instance.
1: That was um, uh, that code language to which he resorted was meant to uh, tap into an existing uh, anti-Semitic uh, impulse that existed among especially uneducated people in those parts of the world at that time. And it was deployed much the way uh, in the Middle Ages um Uh, The Catholic Church used to do that to its own flock and the way uh, fascist regimes did that um, in uh, interwar Europe and the way today uh, some Arab regimes still do that vis-a-vis Israel. Uh, These are images uh, that create um, an imaginary octopus or or monstrosity, some some kind of a creature who's got arms everywhere, and, and works in coordination and ostensibly is out to, to conquer the world and contaminate wells and do God knows what else. Mm. Uh, it worked well with the illiterate masses, of whom there was no shortage, especially at a time when the regime had many things to hide from the people, uh, particularly its own manifest failure to deliver prosperity, and a good way to divert the masses' attention. From the government's failure is to blame the Jews. If even through code language like this, ruthless, ruthless cosmopolitanist, um, image that you cite. Hmm.
0: Well, and and it's interesting because when when one uses the term cosmopolitan, I mean it, it entirely depends on the context in terms of whether or not you're you're using that as a. As a, a, a point of praise for someone, or if you are actually criticizing someone, and, and of course, this was carefully aimed at uh, at, at, a, at a citizenry who would look at the idea of, of one being cosmopolitan. That would be uh, a source of, that would uh, of threat of, of uh, I suppose the implication is that it would be someone cunning and worldly, not not simple wanderers, but somehow worldly wanderers who, who could really uh, impact your life negatively in all kinds of different ways.
1: Absolutely. I think anyone who, for whom cosmopolitanism is, is a negative value is someone who actually fears freedom. And this is exactly what uh, the Soviet Union was about. It not only, um, it not only uh, uh, prevented uh, people from, from enjoying freedom, it feared freedom, uh, this is why it uh, it forbade, for instance, uh, its many subjects to travel freely wherever they felt like traveling. You needed a passport in that uh, empire even, even to travel within its borders, let alone in order to leave those borders. And someone who has such a perception of freedom and such a perception of the outer world, of course, genuinely perceives cosmopolitanism, cosmopolitanism as uh, as a negative value. I think in today's world we see that those who appreciate uh, uh, cosmopolitanism and any aspect of pluralism are the ones who also uh, ultimately win the day and uh, fare better and give uh, their offspring better opportunities for a future. And um, I think much of this is also uh, at play in what we are increasingly calling uh, the clash of civilizations uh, between today's uh, uh, Western world and the parts of the world who who have a problem with all the progress that the Western world has come to epitomize.
0: Hmm. Let's circle back for a moment to the point you made earlier about America being a, a very exceptional chapter in this history of the Jewish uh, diaspora. In fact, I think you head up that chapter, America, a diaspora unlike all others. That's and I right. believe the essential point of its uniqueness is that uh, these Jewish emigrants... Um, were were assimilated in into American society and, and I think maybe you even say at one point treated nearly as equals almost from the beginning in a way that was not typically the case in 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 other places. Am I characterizing that correctly absolutely yes uh, and and I guess you 're saying that there was something about this new land of America, something about the way it was created and why it was created that made this relationship with with the Jews possible.
1: That's very true, and I think therefore that the jury is still out in terms of, of the future of American jury. Many people are saying today, and they're right statistically, that American jury is shrinking and who knows what its future will be and if if its rate of shrinkage continues at its uh, current pace then, then it may disappear within a century or two. And I say that I have no idea where all these demographic trends are headed, uh, although Jewish history has also uh, repeatedly uh, uh, surprised people in these regards. But setting that aside, I say that um, America has been markedly different from any other Jewish diaspora experience because the Jews were part of its very establishment. They were not welcomed into an already fully built America. They participated in building it, um, not only physically but also mentally. Uh, when uh, uh, the Constitutional Congress assembled in Philadelphia, there was, within walking distance of their assembly, um, a functioning synagogue. Jews fought uh, with the patriots and helped finance uh, the war for America's independence. And therefore, uh, the American situation is entirely different from any other diaspora situation. I think that that uh, American uh, Jewry, is not only legitimate, but it's it's also um, it's also flourishing in a spiritual way that few people appreciate, especially here in Israel, where people have this understandable sense of preponderance, feeling that this is the place where Jewish history is being reinvented. I say about that that America is very different from the rest of uh, the places where Jews uh... set up communities in history and the jury is still out concerning american jury's future
0: one point you say about uh... the jews is that the way that they worship was very much affected by being spread across such vastness uh... uh, in the globe could you explain a little further about the way in which that worship life has been affected by this experience of the diaspora
1: sure um, there were um, many traditions that were passed orally uh, over the centuries, and only at uh, uh, very relatively advanced stages, stages came to be written down. Um, the most famous of these is uh, a legal codex called uh, Shulchan Aruch. It was, it was written in the Galilee, that's the northern part of the land of Israel, uh, in the 16th century. And uh, only later arrived in Europe, and with many local exegesis. and both. Uh, and that um, uh, compilation indicates that between uh, the Jewish communities of uh, the Muslim world and the Jewish communities of the Christian world over the centuries and in a natural way, Various differences of, of practice have emerged. Uh, they're not that major. They are in the senses of uh, how, for instance, various prayers uh, are said. The exact wording of this or that sentence can vary. Um, uh, certain uh, small details within how the Sabbath is observed can be different. Uh, but the point is that local traditions always emerged because when communities lived in a secluded way in far out places for centuries, Obviously, they developed some traditions that were unique to themselves, um, and this these discrepancies have only come in recent uh, uh, years, particularly after the Holocaust, and with so many Jewish uh, uh, diasporas um, ending up in Israel. You could see that there is um, a rapid tendency towards uh, a re-unifying um, of Jewish traditions, and there is in Israel an emerging new. Israeli uh, way of practicing, uh, jewish uh, uh, I'd say, uh, the Jewish faith, obviously I'm talking right now within Orthodoxy, Uh, as for the non-Orthodox denominations that prevail in America, in Israel, for now, their following remains limited.
0: Hmm. The book again, uh, a magnificent one, called The Diaspora and the Lost Tribes of Israel, published by Hugh Lauter-Levin Associates and its author, uh, Ematz Asael. Ematz Asael. I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. I learned so much, and I appreciate the chance to speak with you about this book on the morning show. I thank you for your time.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.